everyone. You're watching We Heart Therapy, the special series EFT Talk. I'm your host, Dr. Annabelle Bugatti, licensed marriage and family therapist and certified EFT therapist in fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada. We have a very exciting guest. We have Dr. Ting Liu. She is the clinical director of the Philadelphia Center for Emotionally Focused Therapy, as well as the Asia Center for Emotionally Focused Therapy, where she divides her time between the States and Asia. So we're really excited to have her on our show today. And she's going to talk to us today about depression and how we can use EFT to help our clients that struggle with depression and how this shows up in their relationships. So thank you again, um, Dr. Liu, for uh, coming on our show. And so let's just go ahead and, and start, you know, talking about how depression might show up in our couples or in our work and, um, you know, what are some of the symptoms that we might see and how that might affect the relationship. Okay, great. Thank you. And um, I'm glad to be here. Hi, everyone. Uh, before I started, let me tell you a little bit about um, the impact of depression and how frequently we see depressive um, symptoms in couples and individuals that we work in therapy. You know, in the United States, one in six U.S. adults will be affected by depression. Okay? And so which means that 13 to 14 million Americans are diagnosed with depression every year. And the sad thing is the age of onset is decreasing. So we see younger and younger adults, even teenagers, who are diagnosed with depression and really don't know what to do. And they see, they feel the impact of depression on their life. It affects their job, affect their study, affect their relationship. So we really see a lot of people suffered with depression in uh, therapy. And the economic burden for the country exceeds 200 more than $200 billion a year, just wow. in the US itself. So this is a very serious issues in our country. So I'm glad to have the opportunity to talk about this. Yeah, does, now does research have any hypothesis as to why there's, we're seeing kind of a increase or a surge in depression and why it's going down? Or why the age is going Ages. down? Well, <laughs> let me talk about the risk factor of depression. Because there are, you know, the research really show us that there are risk factors for people who are more likely to uh, be affected by depression, okay? And oftentimes in therapy, we see gender as a factor. More females are diagnosed with depression, which is also very controversial because some people believe that it's just uh, underdiagnosed for men. Because men often exhibit atypical symptoms of depression. You know, um, our impression is that for depressed people, they have very low energy, they may cry all the time, right? They seem to be really sad and very moody. But for um, people with atypical symptoms, they may, see, uh, they may seem to be uh, inattentive. They may uh, seem... Uh, um, more annoyed, easily annoyed. Mm -hmm. okay. uh, so we see more anger, frustration, um, uh, lack of um, empathy and patience. And so, but then those are likely to be the symptoms of depression too. 
right? So age is one factor, and we also look at childhood. You know, people suffer childhood trauma, unstable family environment is also a risk factor.、Mm. And so, we also find race a risk. You know, has some. You know, we find more Caucasian female are diagnosed with depression,、hmm. but we don't know if this is the cause and effect. I can only tell you the、uh, statistic. Huh, that's really interesting. So we don't really know why it's.、Mm-mm. It's very complicated. No, because some researchers go into studying the physiological impact. They went into the genetic, you know, study. They try to study the hormone level and some level of our,、um, like the neural, neurotransmitter. We find correlations, but nobody can say for definite that if you have this, you are going to be depressed. We can only talk about this as a risk factor, but then the other thing is that we also find a trend that depression often exhibits across different generations in the same family. Yeah, yeah. So, so if your parents、like、are diagnosed with depression, you are likely. Right, right.、Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about that. So what I hear you saying is that there are, you know,、um, demographically, there's some different risk factors.、Um, There are atypical symptoms, so it's not only people who have low energy and have、That's、a hard、right. time pulling themselves out of bed, but there are people who may be irritable. They get annoyed more easily. You know, they have a lack of empathy or patience、right. for other people. And I know for my own clients, for for the men that have depression, a lot of them, when you dig deeper in stage two work, have a lot of shame, and、mm-hmm. it you know a lot of the societal. You know,、uh, messages that don't really give men a place for their true emotions, and so when they hold on to it inside, that builds a lot of the depression that they experience. And you know, I totally agree with you because I think、um, the other aspect for men is not only they don't they are not encouraged to access and express their emotion, but they are not encouraged to reach out for help.、Mm-hmm. It's a sign of weakness if they ask someone for comfort, if they share their need. With people, right? It's a sign of weakness. So they are also so that's really difficult for them because not only they they don't have a lot of experience to learn how to access and regulate their feeling, but also they are hold accountable to deal with all issues on their own and not encouraged to to ask for help. I think that make it difficult because we can't guarantee that you know in your whole life everything is smooth, right? You can handle everything. We can probably handle most of the things a lot of time, but not all the time, right?、Absolutely. There are times that you may be sick. There are times you you may going through some kind of difficulty in life. If we are not, we don't have anyone to count on, and we don't have a safe place to go to, then that will be a struggle. And as you also mentioned, the family of origin risk factors. I find that in my clients that struggle with depression, that's a huge factor. Is that they didn't have that safe place to go to. They learned at a very young age. You know, they had parents who weren't available, or they were neglected or abused. You know, so they walked away with this sense of feeling worthless and that they had no value. And this, you can see it in a lot of their negative self-talk. And when you do. Kind of their their attachment history, you'll find that that's embedded in there. But I also, you know, wanted to mention that I wonder if the rise in depression has anything to do with the fact that people are more 
lonely and disconnected from each other as technology increases and we're you know thrusting ourselves into solo activity on our phones more often we're not connecting with other humans i bet that plays a factor if, you know they probably need to research it to definitively <laughs> you know but i bet but you that know that, that that's what i learned in life is that you know after, you know in the beginning we like to use text messages rather than you know conversation face to face because it somehow feels safer Right, mm -hmm. that the text message creates some distance that you don't have to worry about the direct response from others. Mm -hmm. But then, when when we enjoy the safety, we don't take as much risk. We don't get the immediate feedback that we often need in human interaction. So that creates a sense of isolation. Right. So I agree with you. I don't know about the research data, but I agree with you that you really change how we relate to people. You know, with the technology, with the cell phone, you know, I think it does create some barrier. Yeah. So let's say that, that we have a couple that comes into therapy and mm -hmm. one of the people in the, in the relationship presents with depression. Now, how would mm -hmm. we put that into the cycle uh, when we're starting our beginning couples work? Well, we first need to assess if they are aware of this. Because some people know they are depressed and they're under treatment, but some people may not. They see this, they blame the, their partner for their, you know, their anger outbursts. They blame their partner for their sadness. So we, I think the first thing we want to do and put it in the cycle is to make sure that they see depression as a part of their cycle. That's so important. So right. how will we help them understand this? Well, I think first we ask our typical tracking questions, right? You know, what are the situations that you tend to respond this way? You tend to feel more hopeless. You tend to feel more irritable, right? We assess. And then if oftentimes it's related to their partner, like for example, if I have to tell him to do something over and over and he just ignored me and he never really do it. So we put this in the pattern is that, okay, so when he fail or he dismiss you, how does that make you feel, mm -hmm. right? And then we start to talk about the impact of that feeling. Like she may say, I will be upset, I may scream at him, and then I just feel so hopeless and I will sleep for days and didn't really want to go to work, didn't want to talk to him for days. So then, then we see that there may be some red flag there so then I will go in to ask more questions that what happened to you when you sleep, you know, excessive hours and what happened to your relationship? Did he come to you? Did he, will he check on you to ask you what's going on? And do you expect anything from him when you're feeling so bad? Mm. So we're not looking at this person as someone just got sick. And then so she has to deal with this on her own. We're putting the patterns and the symptoms into the relationship and how that affect their form of interaction and then also make their needs, their attachment needs more um, explicit. That's so important. So I, in my clients that aren't aware of their depression, a lot of times it becomes more clear when you know, together we're able to map out that they start as sleeping excessively as a form of escape and and for, even for my clients that are aware, you know, um, the symptoms are very clear to both people in the cycle where one person is shut down, the depressed one is shut down and 
pulled away sleeping, they're sad, they, they're irritable, they don't want to interact. And the other partners often, I don't know what to do about that. I don't know how to help them. So I don't do anything because nothing seems to help. And then the depressed person is like, but you leave feel me abandoned. Yeah, I want you to come to me and comfort me. And that would make me feel so good. But again, they never say that. Mm -hmm. They don't talk mm -hmm. about their attachment needs. Mm -hmm. And I need you to come close and comfort mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. So they don't. And then they it almost reinforces the depression that their partner doesn't come to them in that place. And this is just sometimes I think when mapping depression into the cycle, you got to find the things that aren't happening as well as the things that are happening. When you feel mm -hmm. depressed, you know, what do you do? Where's your partner in this? The partner often feels alone right. themselves because you're depressed and I can't enjoy your company. We can't go mm -hmm. see a movie or mm -hmm. go on a date mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. relax together because you're too depressed and I miss you and I want to be with you. And oftentimes if they had expressed, I miss you and I want to be with you, the depressed partner is like, oh, well, that feels really good to hear, <laughs> you know, but there's so much that doesn't happen when yeah. depression shows up. A lot of needs that aren't being shared or communicated or asked for in both partners kind of dance around each other with the depressive mm -hmm. symptoms. And so understanding, you know, again, putting that part of the dance in there. I love, yeah. I love how you said that. But, but I think, you know, as you were saying, that remind me of two challenges that therapists often face. One is that, you know, the depressed partner often feel bland and responsible. It's like there's something wrong with me, right? I, I am a defective good, right? So I'm a burden. So there's a lot of shame associated with that. So then, you know, in some ways, either they shut down or they become extra sensitive to any you know, form of criticism. So it's like they cannot take in anything their partner said. The partner can make a request. Is that, can you, you know, show more appreciation? But they don't hear that as a request. They hear that as a criticism for what they have failed, mm -hmm. right? And then also the other thing is that, you know, this is a one typical symptom for a depressed partner is that they are very absorbed. They, they absorb negative interaction and message very much, but then they don't, really absorb or experience positive interaction. So even their partner did something really nice that they really need, but it's like it just flies through their head. It's not registering, right? Almost so discounted. That, yes, they discounted, or they don't trust that. Yeah. So that's one challenge is that how to work with the depressed partner without sort of making them feel ashamed you know, and bland. But also I think the other thing I often have to remind myself is not to hold the non-depressed partner accountable for all change in the relationship. Because sometimes I feel that they have better level of functioning. So then we sort of expect them to do a lot more, not because it's their fault, but they would just feel like they are more capable, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes if this non-depressed partner has feel resentful, for needing to take care of the other person for the longest time, that this may not work well, right? Because we are adding more things to their shoulder and onto their shoulder. And also we are perpetuating the cycle, whereas this non-depressed partner's needs can never be met. That's so important. I love how you said that. So there are two challenges. So how would we, you know, work with that within the cycle? 
Okay. I think that one thing is that when I work with uh, clients with mood disorder, not necessarily just depression, but maybe anxiety or PTSD, that I will have to be gentle, which means that when I zoom in to help them access their emotion, I will move in gradually so it will not become overwhelming for them. And as I move in gradually, I will also, you know, stay in good attunement with them, you know, to pick up any side of, the, you know, their overwhelming feelings. I think that's the general principle when you work with emotion is that you don't want to re-traumatize them. You don't want them to associate emotional experience with any kind of negative, you know, like damaging experience. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one thing before I say anything and make any suggestion that I want to remind people is that you really need to move in gradually and you really need to monitor your client's reaction before you heighten, before you stay there, or even before you invite them to take a risk. You want to you know, stay in attunement with them and then check in as often as you can to make sure that they are tolerating this intensity Right, and then they are following you. So really, go slow when we're. That's right. It really, really goes slow. Okay. Yeah. And the other thing that I, you know, this is also a suggestion for a clinician is don't take one person's words or don't use one person's experience as the fact of their life. Right. Oftentimes, that for example, the partner will say, you know, I, I think he just doesn't understand. You know, I don't think he understands how difficult this is for me. I, I, I want to be happy. I want to be energetic. And he just doesn't understand. Okay. And then I don't think he cares. Right. So I can zoom in to empathize and validate the distress this, this partner feel. But I don't use this as the fact or their relationship. I need to check in with the partner. Right. I need yeah. to ask. So is that true? Do you really don't feel you understand? Or how was it for you to hear that she doesn't believe that you understand? Right? So then we have to check to make sure that the other person is also on the same page. Yes. Right? And I find that extremely common with the depressed clients is that they often say, I don't think my partner understands my depression. And sometimes mm -hmm. the partner will say, yeah, I don't really get it. And I think it comes down to me. I find this very similar to just any other emotional expression that you hear clients say, oh, my partner doesn't understand. Well, part of why they don't understand is because we're not opening up our vulnerability and sharing it with their partner. You know, again, part of the stance in the cycle is they don't understand, they can't get it, so I'm not gonna share, so I don't share, so there's no way that they can understand it because we're not sharing. And so the cycle keeps in motion. The partner, of course, doesn't understand, because the depressed partner can't doesn't feel like they can open up and share. So mm -hmm, doesn't mm -hmm. mean that we can't create space for understanding. And usually when you dig in deep to that view of self and when did depression start and some of the things that mm -hmm. happens internally and they share that with their partner, their partner's like, yeah, I can understand that. It makes sense, you know, but in yeah. their cycle, the way it shows up, of course they don't understand because mm -hmm. we're not really opening up and deeply sharing because again, that, that I'm damaged goods, I'm going to burden them. You know, I don't, I just, you know, it's my own thing that I have to carry and struggle on my own, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. reinforces the mm -hmm. depression because here I am struggling with all this pain on my own. 
Right. And, you know, as you were talking about, you don't understand, I do understand or I don't understand, you know, sometimes it becomes tricky that understanding or not become a content they got stuck with. Yes. Because how can I prove to you I understand? So usually my experience is that I like the way you present it is that to look at, you know, how the cycle has been apart for their disconnection, right? That the, the distance between two of them that we don't really see and understand each other. So that's one way to assess it. But I think the other way is to go um, deeper into their attachment need because understanding is just the first step, right? What would you like to see happen? What would be different if your partner understand your pain? Usually yeah. understanding is just a tool, right? Yeah. If you understand, you would take care of me better, mm -hmm. you will be less angry with me, yes. or you will be more responsive to me, mm -hmm. or you will not blame me. Yes, exactly. Because usually, again, when, when my partner doesn't understand me, I feel that they're angry at me for needing my time, you know, mm -hmm. not being able to get out of bed. They feel a lack of acceptance in the relationship, That's a right. lack of empathy, a lack of compassion. So, and of course it can be hard to give that to someone when we don't know what, what they need or what's going on. I know. And then the thinking, the tricky part is that, do I really have to be, to um, know how to respond to your need yeah. without understanding? I think that's our argument, right? I can take care of you, but what do you want me to understand? Because I heard Carter say that, but I don't have depression. Right. I have never been depressed my whole life. So I try to understand, but I'm I would never probably never be able to understand. Yeah. Right? And then yeah. the one one uh, sort of a reminder for myself is I don't get into this argument. Is what yeah. how can you understand? How can you help him understand? How can you assess whether or not this person yeah. really, I mean, then that become content. Yeah, you don't have to it's this illusion. You don't have to That's understand right. to be able to meet the need. That's right. That's a very good point. I try, you know, that that's a point I try to make is that you really don't need to understand fully mm -hmm. in order to meet the other person's need. Mm -hmm. There are other ways that you can express and get your need met. Yeah, yeah. And usually, so I think one of the most common ways too we see the depression pop up is a negative view of self, which again, translates into a negative view of others. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't, because I feel I'm damaged goods, and a lot of times this goes back to family of origin issues, you know, a parent who gave them that message, not having anyone available, trauma, whatever it was, you know, so then they assume that their partner doesn't love them or sees them mm -hmm. with that set of eyes or doesn't want to be there for them. And so even if we're just seeing an individual, you know, I do all that attachment history to find out if they present with depression, what's in their attachment history? Have they had some kind of break or trauma? What attachment messages did they get? Who did they go to for comfort? Can they go to anyone for comfort now, which usually is no. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But sometimes even when I see individual clients, if I ask them, have you ever, you know, talked about your inner world with your partner? You know, these feelings where you feel worthless and you don't believe that you're truly lovable have you ever talked to your partner about that and usually they're like no and if i ask them have you ever thought about what would happen if you told them about it usually mm -hmm. they say i think my partner would be there for me <laughs> but they mm -hmm. it's hard for them to take that risk to open up and when mm -hmm. we're working with two people in the room it can be easier in stage two to work on taking those risks you know when 
when they have that negative view of self, because we know secure attachment can, can help with these wounds, being mm -hmm. able to turn to their partner and say, I feel so worthless, I'm struggling with this, and have their partner express love for them. But if they're coming to you individually, mm -hmm. it's going to be a little bit of a steeper hill to climb because you're not able to work with the other person in the room. I know. And then also, you know, I, I think this is the most... Um, the, the, the most clear things to differentiate individual therapy for depression versus a couple therapy for depression. Because we could always challenge those distorted thought, right? Those negative beliefs of self and also the world. That's, you know, we can help the individual. But in couple therapy, not only we help them to take the risk, you know, take the risk with the reward they never had. Right to really overcome the fear they have that if I reach out, if I share this part of myself, that I will get rejected, people will look down on me, or they will even walk away as if I was invisible. Right, so we help them took the baby step toward you know the fear they always have, so they can you know sort of feel relief. It's not like I always to carry this burden. So I think that's one part of stage two work in EFT is that we encourage them to take risk and really share their experience and their need with their partner, right? But then the best, I think this is the, the best part I like about EFT is using the partner's response as the antidote. Yes. So not only I share, right? I take a risk to fight for something that's important to me to overcome a lifetime fear and rejection that I had. But my partner's response can really be the antidote. Let me give you an example. I have this um, a client, um, the husband is, was really depressed and there's always this shame in him that he has to be perfect. So that put her in the bind because not only she cannot complain or criticize him, she cannot even make a request. She said, can you kiss me goodbye before you go to work? Then he feel criticized because he feel like that's a way to blame him for failing something, right? So that really make her life difficult because she couldn't even make a request. And then every time she has to talk to him, she had to be really careful with her tone, with the words she used. And then it just feels like she couldn't do it. Or at least she couldn't prevent him from having those angry outbursts. But then as we move into stage two, for her to turn to him and say, you don't really have to be perfect. I love you regardless. And you are good enough in my eyes without needing to be perfect. Being perfect is your, is your rules and your expectation, not mine. And she said, I'm not perfect either. Nobody is perfect. And we can learn together and we support each other. And every time that you give me a chance to help you, I feel better in our relationship because I am needed by you. I mean, that's the antidote that you don't get to do in individual therapy, right? So it's not just for him to take the risk to share that fear of not being perfect and people will leave him if he is not perfect, mm -hmm. right? That really helps us understand his defensiveness. 
Yeah, and it's really a double win because not only does the partner of the depressed person feel needed and, you know, important because they're being let into that that sacred inner space that they don't normally get to be a part of, but the depressed client also starts to feel better. A lot of times my clients with depression will see great relief of their depressive symptoms after great EFT work because they're turning to their partner, their partner is you know, the antidote to those attachment messages they got growing up, I'm worthless, I'm a burden, I'm not lovable, those kinds of things, their partner is healing that and they're learning to distinguish, okay, that was something that came from my family or this trauma and that wasn't necessarily healthy and that doesn't mean that that's who I am as a person because now I have this antidote. But I do actually in my individual work, I'll kind of suss out you know, even though I'm only seeing one person, I'll try to gauge what their partner's um, engagement is, and presence is like at home in their experience. And I'll, I'll go more slowly, but I will try to give them little nuggets to try to have them share maybe little slivers. And I've had a few of my individuals try it with great success. And if their partner's not available, I do get the partner to come in. And I've been successful at that. But I've had a few that I've had them be able to take small risks and build and build, and that's helped significantly with them. That's right. I I think that depends on the level of functioning and the level of relationship distress between the partner. So Mm -hmm. if you work with an individual and they function well and they're not in so much distress, they could really have stage two happen by themselves at home, Mm -hmm. right? So I I don't think that's, but then I, I do think that you know, being able to share with their partner and then being able to sort of use their response from their partner, either in therapy or at home, is just a yeah. good, um, I guess, antidepressant for their yeah. symptoms. What's interesting, though, too, is that for a lot of my individuals that come in, you know, the relationship is generally good. They don't have a lot of conflict. They can mm-hmm. connect, but there's still a a lot of withdrawing from the depressed partner. Their relationship could be better. They could feel more loved if they were able to turn to their partner and share with them, you know, those attachment fears, the hurt, the pain that's inside of them. When I feel worthless, when I don't feel worthy of seeking your help, you know, so sometimes that even factors into creating the cycle of the depression is, because I don't feel worthy, I don't turn to you for reassurance, for love, for comfort, because again, I don't see myself as worthy. So I shut down, I sleep, I do whatever, you know, the way that I try to numb out or get hijacked by my depression. And then that makes me unavailable in the relationship or not as engaged or not as present. And a lot of times you find the partner of the depressed person is they want to engage. They want to be more connected. And that's part of, I don't understand why they shut down and go away from me. And I miss them and I want to be with them. <laughs> but I think, I think when we talk about a partner, I think the other part about EFT is that we want both partners to need, both partners need to be met, right? Yeah. So if we can work with the negative view of the depressed partner, that really free them up to show more appreciation Mm-hmm. right to show that you know their, their feeling of being taken care of and their guilt in the relationship so i think that's also very you know rewarding for the non-depressed partner because some of them know that i have to deal with this together right with my partner 
but then not have been not feeling appreciated, always feel taken for granted, or always feel like I have to be the mature one who you know my partner can drop and anything when they're not doing well, but I cannot. I think to to hear the appreciation, to hear the guilt that from the depressed partner will also be important. And the other thing is that. Um, I have a depressed partner actually say in therapy that yes, I'm depressed. Yes, I you know there will be times that I'm doing better or worse, but it doesn't make me completely incompetent. So this depressed partner actually turned to the non-depressed one and say that there are times that you can count on me, and Even I will that. That's right, and I will let you know when I'm doing well. I will let you know when I'm not doing well. So you don't have to treat me as this very fragile, right, and incompetent person, as if you know you can you can't expect anything from me. I want to be able to contribute, right? I want to be able to take care of you. But I also understand. That you don't want to be rejected, or you don't want to make me feel more depressed by adding pressure on me. I understand that. So my responsibility is really to give you clear enough signal to let you know how I am doing, and when I'm doing well, I want to be your partner that you can count on. That was beautiful, right? And I really see. I I totally agree that even though some partners are depressed, they really want to function. Right, they want to be equal partner in relationship.、Mm-hmm. That's great, and sometimes it's you know when the partner treats them as fragile, it again reinforces the depressive symptoms. That's right. So, that's right.、So、and the, the negative view of self. Yes. Yes. So this depression really shows up in in a variety of ways. You know, can be. You know the symptoms can be a part of what creates the cycle, but the cycle can also reinforce the depressive symptoms.、Right. You know, so when when a couple or even an individual comes in, you know, we're going to map the depressive symptoms. You know, first, like you said, gauge whether or not they are aware of the depression.、Um, So we may either be helping them to connect the dots that depression may be something that they realistically struggle with, or They may already be aware. They may already be aware, and we're going to map the symptoms. Regardless, we're going to help them map the symptoms in the cycle and see how these symptoms play a part. What they do, what they don't do.、Mm-hmm. We're going to get view of self, view of others. With a depressed person, obviously, their view of self is usually very low.、Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> right.、Know? And there, and that reinforces their view of others. Others must see me the way I see myself, and so that plays a part in their relationship. And stage two, really deep stage two work, can go really far in helping the couple not only navigate the symptoms, but can also be the antidote to a lot of the depressive symptoms to helping heal that view of self, view of others. So. EFT is just incredible. For oh, it is, and I cannot tell you how many times I cry with my clients as they go through stage two,、mm-hmm. because you know you really see the strength in them,、mm-hmm. and you really feel their struggle. And then I was always touched by the connection they ha- they show and、yeah. the willingness that they reach out to risk、yes. for the other and- person. 
And I also find when we validate that strength and really bring it out, look at how strong and courageous you're being right now. It's so brave of you to share this with your partner. You know, do you, do you feel that strength right now? You know, grounding them in that I find helps them also work to change their view of self because oftentimes they see themselves as weak, you know, and when you say you're being so strong right now, you're they validating. They don't buy it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. At first they may not buy it, but eventually as you get deeper and ground them in it, it helps them rebuild. You know, and then, you know, the good thing is that, you know, they, they, you're right that they often have difficulty buying it and seeing themselves from the positive view. But as we move on, we can actually provide concrete examples of the risk they are taking in therapy to show them to see that it's not just me, right? It's not just me comforting you being a nice person saying you're strong. You are strong. Look at what you have done. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think that's the part that it's not just lip service to tell them, oh, mm -hmm. you can do it. It's really to struggle with them, to get messy with them using Sue's words. Mm -hmm. Right. And actually be able to see them from a different light. And this new view of them from us hopefully will translate into the new view of themselves. Yes. Even though it may take a little more time than mm -hmm. non depressed clients so we'll just go slow and it may take longer just as with trauma well, it's almost like depression right. again is a type of trauma and we've got to treat it very similar. that's right that's right so we need to know how to you know hit hit the break you know mm -hmm. if sometimes they got become very volatile sometimes they got intense really quickly mm -hmm. that we need to know how to soothe them how to slow it down right yeah. and that's to protect them yeah, absolutely. This is so beautiful. And this was so helpful. Thank you so much, Dr. Liu. So do you offer workshops or trainings for uh, folks in the EFT community around depression? Yeah, um, we, all, we, well, I, you know, we offer workshops in Philadelphia Center for EFT where I work and live. Mm -hmm. um, and then I also offer training depression uh, internationally, especially in Asia. Actually, I'm going to do a, a training uh, on depression in Chiang Mai, Thailand this summer. Wow. So um, if you want to know more information about my schedule and my training, you can go to the Philadelphia Center for EFT.com or you can go to Asia Center, AsiaEFT.com. Perfect. And I will make sure that we put the link in the description for this video. Now, is, do you have an email address or is that available on the Philadelphia EFT website if people want to get in touch with you? Yes, yes. You can find my information on the Philadelphia Center website or Asia EFT website that you can contact me through the website too. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Liu. You've been amazing. Your knowledge is just so wonderful. And we appreciate the time that you've taken to be here with us today to talk about depression. Thank you for the opportunity. You're welcome. Thank you so much to all of our viewers. Make sure that you keep watching because more episodes are on the way.